This afternoon we turn to Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, we read God's word there as follows. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory 
so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So far the reading of God's holy word. The text for this afternoon is 1 Peter 1, the verses 3 through 5. I'll read those verses once more. 1 Peter 1. 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So far the text. After the sermon, we'll sing hymn 36, 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, life is full of change. One of those changes is that a minister moves from one congregation to another. And these changes that we experience in life have consequences. In a case when a minister moves from one congregation to another, that has consequences for two congregations, for the minister and for the minister's family. Life is full of change. But that's just one example of change. There are many other changes in life. There are political and economic changes. Presently, Canada is in a federal election campaign. What will it bring? Will it bring change? Will there be a new governing party? And as far as economics is concerned, the Chinese economy has brought about change on the international scene as the stock markets have plummeted and have gone up again. A lot of change. And then consider also, brothers and sisters, the change as far as our position as Christians in our Western world is concerned. There was a time not so long ago when we could say that our great country, Canada, was more or less ruled according to Christian principles. But those days are long gone. In only a few short decades, there has been momentous change. And now, as you could see in the handout that you received this morning from the Association for Reform Political Action, ARPA, 
We are looking in the year 2015 at what each political party thinks about the beginning of life and the end of life issues. Who will take a stand against abortion? Who will take a stand against euthanasia? Those kind of issues were unheard of only a few short decades ago. There's change all around us. And as far as our position as Christians is concerned, that ought to be on our minds. That ought to have our attention. What will the future hold for the Christian church in Canada? What kind of changes will we still have to experience? Well, that's where our text comes into the picture because those first recipients of this letter in Asia Minor faced huge changes in their lives. They had embraced the Lord Jesus in true faith and things changed for them. They were no longer the same people. Their thinking had changed, their actions had changed, and their position in society had been changed. They were now exiles, strangers, people living in the world, but different because they knew the gospel of Jesus Christ and tried to serve him in thankfulness. And to those people, Peter wrote his letter. And in that world of change, Peter wrote a letter in which he begins by speaking about that unchanging inheritance for the people of God. The thing that is always secure. The inheritance prepared for the people of God in Jesus Christ. So as we have this farewell service in a world of change, we'll focus on the text that we find in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I summarize the message as follows. As exiles in the world... We have the hope of an inheritance. And we'll note three things. First of all, the certainty of this inheritance. Secondly, the glory of this inheritance. And thirdly, the preservation for this inheritance. As exiles in the world, we have the hope of an inheritance. We note the certainty of this inheritance, the glory of this inheritance, and the preservation for this inheritance. The initial recipients of this letter lived in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and they were primarily of Gentile origin. Once they were not God's people, but now they had become God's people. Once they did not know Jesus Christ, but now they knew Jesus Christ. They had embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ in true faith, and that had changed everything for them that had transformed them into exiles in this world. And as a result, they lived in difficult circumstances. They faced various pressures, and these pressures weighed on them, pressures from within their own sinful hearts, experiencing that pull back to their old way of life experiencing that pull away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and to a way of life which is not appropriate for Christians. 
In chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says, as Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't go back to that. Not only did they experience pressures from within their own sinful hearts, but they also experienced pressures from the world. As Peter says in chapter 4, verse 4, about those who are now looking at them in their transformed lifestyle, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But then Peter goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And is it any different for us today? We also contend with those same pressures from within our sinful hearts. We also contend with those pressures from the world. And we have the tendency to forget that we are exiles in the world and we feel the cost of being Christians in so many different ways. Well then, Peter begins his letter not by focusing on those circumstances that can sometimes be hard, those changing circumstances, but Peter focuses on what God has prepared for God's people through Christ. And Peter begins with a doxology, a word of praise. He doesn't begin with the difficult circumstances those believers were in. He begins with a word of praise about God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter focuses on the salvation that God has prepared for God's people through Jesus Christ. God has made provision for our salvation. And he has given us the gospel of the forgiveness of all our sins. The gospel of reconciliation. And then Peter goes on to say in verse 3 and 4. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We were spiritually dead in sin, brothers and sisters, but God caused us to be reborn. And God made us alive. God regenerated us. God set us on a new path. And for that, Peter praises God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. New life is possible on the basis of Christ's resurrection from the dead. This inheritance that Peter speaks about in our text is a certain inheritance because of the certainty of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. This inheritance is certain because it is certain that the Lord Jesus triumphed over sin, Satan, and death by his resurrection from the grave. He arose as the victor over sin, Satan, and death. And his victory 
is our victory through faith in Jesus Christ. The Christian faith stands or falls with the fact of Christ's resurrection. And Peter says, it's a fact. And that certain fact of Christ's resurrection means the certainty of our inheritance. Peter himself had felt the effect of this in his own life. And he expresses that in our text. When he says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us. Peter includes himself. And that means something in this text because elsewhere Peter does not necessarily speak about us. But he speaks about you. But here he speaks about us, including himself, and thereby indicating that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead meant new life for him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead meant Peter's rebirth to a living hope. In fact, that's what it meant for all the disciples on the day of Christ's resurrection. When they saw him again, when they could speak with him again, and when they could see his victory over sin, Satan, and death. You know how it was after the Lord Jesus had been crucified and laid in the tomb. The disciples were dejected. They thought it was all over. But then Easter came. And the victory of Jesus Christ over death became apparent. And they were overjoyed by it. It meant for them a new lease on life. It meant for them a new birth into a living hope. And they became changed people. The certainty of the inheritance rests on the certainty of Christ's resurrection. And the certainty of this inheritance is also associated with the fact that it is kept in heaven. It's an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Literally, it says it is reserved in heaven for you. That speaks of certainty. It's yours. It's there for you. And it's coming to you. It's being held for you. And that speaks of certainty. And the Christian may build on that certainty. It's kept in heaven. Where it can't be touched. Where it doesn't change. Where it doesn't become defiled. Where it isn't spoiled. It's kept in heaven. And all this makes for a living hope. Peter speaks about being born again to a living hope. A living hope is a hope which, which fills us, which absorbs us entirely. A living hope is a hope which, which causes us to live in a state of expectation. A living hope is something that makes us different people. A living hope is something that permeates our lives. 
and impacts every aspect of our lives. It's not something vague and uncertain, but it's something which dominates us and fills us. And that means, brothers and sisters, because we have a living hope, a living hope, we may look beyond the brokenness of life in this fallen world, and we may look beyond all the changes in life, some of the changes which may scare us, some of the changes which affect us as Christians, we may look beyond all of that and see that inheritance which is certain. We may look beyond the changing circumstances of life and see that unchanging inheritance. And it's a glorious inheritance. Because that's the second thing that Peter speaks about in our text. He speaks about this inheritance as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It cannot perish, it cannot fade, it cannot spoil. And that's what those first readers of this letter needed to hear. And this is what we need to be reminded of too. When Peter wrote this letter, those Christians were dealing with the consequences of being Christians. And they were in danger of forgetting their exile. But Peter says that the hardships associated with being a Christian are only temporary. They pale in comparison with the glory that God has prepared for his children in Jesus Christ. Those initial readers were in danger of going back to their old way of life. And therefore, Peter reminds them of the glory of the inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The pleasures of this world and the ease of life in this world, apart from Christ, are fleeting. Actually, brothers and sisters, people in the world are disappointed with what this life offers. They may have many good things and, and everything may be going well for them. But deep down, and certainly in the end, they are disappointed. People are in constant search of stability, security, permanence. But it always remains elusive. Life itself is full of change. And life also ebbs away. You can't hold on to it. Possessions, a job, family, and health are temporary. No one can stop the passage of time. No one can stop change. At death... Everything slips out of our hands. And man struggles with this. Man tries to compensate for this. Man tries to amass as many possessions as possible. Man tries to enjoy as much pleasure as possible. Man tries to avoid thinking about all of this change in life, all of this instability and insecurity and impermanence by resorting to coping mechanisms 
substance abuse, wild activities, orgies. But the Christian knows of that inheritance. He knows of that living hope because he knows of the glory of the inheritance prepared for the people of God in Jesus Christ. It's incomparable with everything that this life has to offer. And that's what Peter is holding out to his readers. That's what he's holding out to us today, brothers and sisters, as we contemplate our position in this world as Christians and our changing circumstances and all the things that we may have to experience in life. We may focus on that inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us who know the name of Jesus Christ and have embraced him in true faith. And then we also notice that Peter speaks about the preservation for this inheritance. We've already seen that this inheritance is being reserved for us. As Peter says, it's kept in heaven for you. But now Peter also says, you are being kept for that inheritance. You are being preserved for that inheritance. Because Peter says in the verses 4 and 5 that there is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded for that inheritance until it is revealed in the last time. God's power guards us. And that's very comforting, brothers and sisters, because we are weak people. We feel the constant pull of our old nature. We feel the pressures from the world. And we are easily drawn back into our former ignorance, the ignorance with which we are born, because we're all conceived and born in sin. We hear it in the baptism form. We're all conceived and born in sin. And that's what baptism speaks to us about. And then it goes on to speak about the washing away of all our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. But it points in the first place to the fact that we need cleansing and that we are by nature sinners, ignorant sinners. Well, Peter says, you are being guarded for that inheritance by God's power. And he uses a military term. It's a term used for the fortification of a city. You are being guarded by God. He's your fortress. He's your citadel. And he shields you. But notice that Peter says that God's power guards us through faith. Through faith. That means, brothers and sisters, we need to believe that God will guard us. We need to entrust ourselves to his care. We need to believe. To say it with the words of Lord's Day 9, which we dealt with this morning, 
when we dealt with the first article of the Apostles' Creed in which we confess that I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the catechism says that that means that I so trust in him that I believe that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and that he will turn to my benefit whatever adversity he sends me in this life. Isn't that also what we hear in the baptism form? This life is no more than a constant death. But we know and we pray that God will turn all the adversity that we experience in this life to our eternal benefit. But we must believe it. We must embrace it in faith. We have wonderful promises. We have this promise that God's power shields us. We have the baptismal promises, which we will hear again this afternoon. God will be our Father. He will be our God through Jesus Christ. But we must receive that promise in faith. It's not automatic. We must believe it. And furthermore, that means we must use the means that God uses to keep us standing in the faith. That too is not automatic. Faith is dynamic. It has its ups and downs. That's why we have the preaching of the gospel from week to week. And we pray that the Lord will bless that. We must be faithful in attending the worship services. We must be faithful in reading the word of God and studying it. We must be faithful in praying to God for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. We must focus on the meaning of the sacraments which God has given us as the visible gospel for the strengthening of our faith. That's all part of the exercise of our faith. And if we don't do those things, we'll stop focusing on that Christian hope. Then we'll be pulled away by our own sinful desires and by the allure of the world. No wonder then that Peter says in chapter 1 verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says... You are being guarded through faith by God's power. It makes us think of what we confess in our canons of Dort in that fifth chapter about the preservation of the saints. That beautiful chapter which makes us look at God as the one who preserves his children in the grace. Chapter 5, Article 3. Which speaks about the remnants of indwelling sin and the temptations of the world and of Satan. And then goes on to say that those who have been converted could not remain standing in that grace if left to their own strength. But God is faithful, who mercifully confirms them in the grace once conferred upon them and powerfully preserves them in that grace to the end. But God uses means. And that's expressed in Article 13 of Chapter 5 of the Canons of Dort, where we confess 
actually Article 14, where we confess that just as it has pleased God to begin this work of grace in us by the preaching of the gospel, so he maintains, continues, and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by meditation on it, by its exhortations, threats, and promises, and by the use of the sacraments. Brothers and sisters, be in the word. Pray to God for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And he will do it. In this farewell service, in a changing world, the message is, look to God. Look to his word of promise. Look to his salvation through Jesus Christ. Look to that glorious inheritance, that certain inheritance that has been prepared for us through Jesus Christ as exiles in the world, in a changing world, full of all kinds of change, we have the hope of an inheritance. And that inheritance is certain and it is glorious. And then we can only say with Peter at the conclusion that doxology, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.